folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is episode 65 of the Jesus Society Podcast, and um, we are going to um, we're going to continue talking about men today, uh, what it means to be men of God. Um, we started that last week, and... Um, Next week, we're going to have a, uh, a guest with us, someone who may be familiar to you if you're a longtime listener of the Jesus Society podcast. So you're going to want to join us for that conversation. Uh, but today, uh, I, want to, I want to spend a little time uh, talking about something I mentioned in passing last week. So my own father, who we talked about last week, um, didn't give me everything that I needed um, from a father, and that was a generational problem. He didn't get everything he needed from his father, and he just had very little to give, and it took me a long time to understand that, um, and I, I talked through some of that um, last week. Um, and I'm just going to warn you uh, up front, I, I blubbered just a bit last week. I am probably going to blubber just a bit this week, so if that if that is um, if that is loathsome to you, <laughs> you're going to have to deal um, because I am what I am. Um, I'm a I'm a bit of a blubberhead sometimes. Um, so so my own father didn't didn't wasn't a good father to me. Um, as much as he might have liked to have been, he. He did not have that to give in the way that I needed him to give it. But here's the thing. God has an uncanny way of stepping into voids like that and filling them. And he certainly did that with me. So I want to tell you today about some of the ways that God himself stepped into my life and has fathered me himself over the years. And that's the way I look at it, as God stepped into that void and became the father to me that I needed. Okay? Um, and that, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And if, if you're a man listening to this who didn't have the father that you wish you had, I think, I pray, that maybe something in my own story here will be helpful to you. So I hope you'll stick around for this conversation. So as I think about it, there were three uh, very distinct ways in which God himself fathered me. And the first is, and, and maybe one of the most significant ways, is by providing me with numerous surrogate fathers over the years. Uh, men who, who stepped into my life and occupied a, a fatherly role, were a fatherly presence. Um, some of those men were Christians, some weren't. And um, I, I will say that did not invalidate um, 
what they gave me at the time, but God placed every single one of them in my life. I am absolutely convinced of that at just the right time to give me something that I desperately needed at that stage in my life. And, and I'm going to name some of them by name here on this podcast. And um, many of them, I, I dare say most of them, um, some of some of whom have gone on to be with the Lord already, but I, I dare say that most of them probably had no idea at the time what kind of impact they were they were providing me in my life. And so so some of some of what I'm doing here by naming them by name, and I could tell this story without naming them, but I want I want to name them just as a way uh, for those who are still around. I, I you know I hope that maybe somehow they'll hear this. And they will then know what a difference they've made in my life. Um, so, so I want to tell some of that story. There's, there's a, and remember, this is just one part of the way God has fathered me. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about a couple more as we go through this. But, but I want to name some of the guys, some of the men that God placed in my life at just the right time. Um, and this is, this is the part of this where it might get a little blubbery. So, warning, blubber warning. Um, the first is my uncle Al, my mother's sister's husband, um, who lived, um, just on the next property over when I was a young, young man. He, he took my brother and I fishing. Um, he, uh, let us help out on the farm that he had. And he, I loved I loved my Uncle Al. I'm not sure I ever told him that, um, but I did. And he he just kind of stepped in. I, I doubt for a minute that he ever knew what he was doing. But he just kind of stepped in, and he was just kind of there for us. He wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a touchy-feely kind of guy, or he wasn't a, you know, a... We didn't have any deep, deep conversations, but he was a he was a, a a gentle, fun presence in my life when I needed somebody like that. So we went fishing together. We just we just I I would find my way over to his house just about every day when I was young because I just wanted to be around him. Um, he had uh, he had served in World War II and had come back. Um, from that, and we never talked much about World War II. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that I think I would have, uh, in retrospect, I would have liked to have talked to my uncle about that I just never did. But he was there. And he was there when I needed a guy, an older man in my life, that I could do some stuff with. And he was really important. He has gone on, uh, passed away, long time ago now. I don't remember, 20, 25 years ago, 26 years ago, 27 years ago maybe. Um, but looking back, I can tell you, God put him in my life for a reason. Uh, the next was um, a man named Odin Warman, um, the, the Reverend Odin Warman. He was, a, he was the, the minister at the Methodist Church that I was attending at the time in Volant, Pennsylvania. And um, 
he was um, this was this was when uh, I, I looked him up a minute ago he he eventually I think uh, went on to be a, a bishop in the in the Methodist Church there in Western Pennsylvania long since retired now as far as I know he's still alive uh, and I, and if he's boy if, if he finds this I hope he finds this I hope he I hope I can explain what a difference he made in my life um, during the period when um, between um, I was about between the ages of 11 and 17 he was the minister there at that little church and it was that was during that was during probably the roughest years of my life dad was drinking a lot and our family was in a really rough place and Odin Warman stepped into our lives and was just he was a, a a listening compassionate gentle shepherding ear for um i think probably mostly my mother and i um during that that period of, of real turmoil um uh, he he called my mother one day and i'll never forget this he wanted to come and take me out for ice cream and I thought, well, that gee, that's nice. And we went out and we had a we had a wonderful little discussion. And I don't remember much of what we discussed, but he wanted me to know that I was loved. And that he cared. And he was the first person in my whole life to whisper into my heart at a, at a shockingly young age that he thought I would end up in ministry. I don't know why. I don't know what he saw in me that made him think that. I, had, I have no idea. But he dropped that bomb on me during that little ice cream get-together that he orchestrated. And I filed that away. And lo and behold, that came true. I don't, and I, I would love to know what he saw and I don't even know today if he'd remember me. But he was a, he was a really important person uh, in my life at that time. Um, there was another man named uh, Michael Malthainer. Uh, Mr. Malthainer, he was my uh, he was my choral my chorus teacher in high school. I had a really rough high school experience. You know, a lot of people, a lot of my classmates I know look back at their high school experience with great fondness. It was wonderful. Uh, the friends that they made in high school are the friends that they still have today. That was not my experience at all. High school was rough. I was an odd kid. I was overweight. I had terrible acne. I was not one of the in crowd. I was not a great student. I was, I was an outcast. I was the kid that a lot of people made fun of. I was bullied a little bit in high school. Um, and I hated virtually every minute of my high school experience. Until in 10th grade, I joined the chorus. And in chorus, I found a place to belong. I found... In that day and age, at, at my high school, the chorus, chorus was the place where a lot of the other outcasts end up, ended up. And we made good music together. And I was a pretty good singer. 
And I found a place where I belonged. I found a place where I felt like I I wasn't totally a loser and a screw-up, that I had something, I had a gift that could be employed in making others happy. And Michael Malthainer, Mr. Malthainer, was the was our chorus instructor, and he he showed me, he invested in me and showed me that I had something important to give, a gift, and he nurtured that in me. He also significantly held my feet to the fire um, during a few instances of rebellion and waywardness when I needed a little bit of discipline, and he was probably on, the only person in that school that I respected enough to have an, to have that kind of disciplinary influence on me, I I had I had fallen into kind of a rough crowd and was did a few things that I'm that I was not proud of at the time. And he, I don't know if he got tapped, but he was the only one that had that kind of influence in my life at that school. And he was an incredibly important person to me. I still look back on him with great fondness and. Mr. Malthainer, if you're listening, I love you. And you just don't know how how important you were to me at that time during a very difficult phase in my life. So there's that. Um, I lived in Montana for a while. Um, in my twenties, and there was a there was a there was a guy out there who he and I were great friends, and he wasn't really much older than me, but in many ways he was kind of a father figure. I looked up to him. His name was Dave McClellan, and uh, we've kind of lost touch over the years, but but he was a really really important person in my life. He kind of he was kind of a cowboy, a modern day cowboy. He was a he was a horseshoer. We worked together at Sears and Roebuck, um, and he was a farrier, a horseshoer, and uh, and we spent a lot of time together riding horses and hunting and just doing stuff together. And he he kind of gave me a vision of what it means to be a man, uh, being a, a responsible, um, a hard worker, uh, somebody who who always did the right thing and always told the truth. And he inspired an ethic in me when ethics were not really big on my radar, frankly. Um, it was a period in my life when I was kind of trying to get to get what I wanted and uh, not doing some great things to, to try to do that. But he was, he was important to me. Um, he kind of helped me catch a vision of of a different way to live. I, I don't know that Dave would call himself a Christian. I, I'm, I, that was never part of our life together as friends. Um, so I, I don't really know. We, like, we, didn't, we didn't talk about that side of things. So I don't know. I don't know where he stands in that regard. But I can tell you, God put him in my life. And he was really important uh, at, that, at a time when I needed someone to, to look up to that that could show me some a different way to live than the way I was living and he did that and I I hope Dave if you if you find your way into this 
bizarre podcast. I hope you know, uh, at least now, that you were really important to me when I needed somebody like you. Got to take a drink of water. This is rougher than I thought it would be. Uh, the next guy God put in my life was a man named Sperry Hug. He was the guy who opened God's word to me when I, when I kind of made a wreck of myself in Montana and um, moved back to Pennsylvania with my tail between my legs. Um, he was he was one of the people who was there. Um, we ended up in a Bible study together, and he opened up God's word to me for the first time, showed me things I had never had a clue about um, in in the Bible. Um, he had the kind of life and marriage that I had never seen before in anyone. Um, he was, he was the sweetest, most godly, most, uh, most loving man that I had ever known up to that point. Um, and his influence on me is profound. He was the second guy who told me, uh, one day we were having a conversation. I was struggling a bit with what I was going to do with my life. And he looked at me square in the eye and he said, I know exactly what you're going to do, Ron. And I said, well, what, what is it? Tell me. I'd like to know. And he said, you're going to be a minister. And I thought, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Of course, I'd heard it before. And um, I only, uh, I, once he said that, I thought, I thought that's ridiculous. But once he said it, I couldn't get it out of my head. And within a few years after that, I went into ministry school. Um, so he, he loved me. He counseled me. He blessed me in a way that is um, still one of the most profound blessings of my life was knowing him. I had the opportunity a number of years later to go back to that church and work with him. He invited me to come and, and kind of take his place. And I, I, I turned that down for reasons I know he never understood. Um, I tried to explain some of them to him. I had become a little bit of a different person then. I, I thought a little differently about some things that I knew. I knew some of the people in that church. Um, I was thinking about some things differently than they would think about them. And I, I was desperately afraid because I love that church and I love those people and those people loved me and I was desperately afraid that if I went there to serve in a minister capacity that we would find ourselves at odds with each other over some things. And I was afraid that they wouldn't love me after all that. And I did not want to wreck those relationships by putting myself in that position. That is probably cowardly, but that was the choice I made. But Sperry Hogue, he was... He has gone on to be with the Lord now, and so uh, he's, I hope he's hearing this, but if he is, he, and even if he isn't, he knows, he knows what a difference he made in my life. He was, a, he was a father figure. He showed me, he showed me what it meant to be a husband, what it meant to be a father. Uh, he, he was an example, a living, breathing example of exactly what I never had. And I, in, in just watching him be a man, watching him be a husband, watching him be a father, he became my exemplar of what I wanted to be in a husband and a father. 
and a minister. And I can't tell you how many times over the years I have, I have thought to myself, what would Sperry do in this situation? He just, he was my paradigm. Um, and he was a good paradigm. Um, there've been a couple of, a couple of other people, um, uh, who I won't necessarily mention by name, um, in different, in different places I, I, I lived and served as a minister. There was an elder, um, uh, there was a couple of elders in um, when I, w- I worked for a church in Greenfield, Indiana. Um, Carmen Keisha and and Rick Anderson, those guys, those guys were friends. They were godly. They were loving. They were, and they don't know. I don't think how they, you know, I kind of regarded them as fathers in a way that they don't. I I know they don't understand that. They like they don't. They have no idea. I don't think that they served that for me, that they stepped into that role, but they did, and they were important. Um, when we when we lived in Abilene, um, there was a guy there named Kent Smith. Kent and I are still friends, um, and I don't. I know Kent knows he was an important figure in my life. I don't know that he realizes how, but in a lot of ways, he was a father figure. He was the guy I could go to and talk to, and did frequently. About that was a that was a time in my life when um, I had left a very difficult ministry situation and was trying to sort out what what in the world life was going to be like for me after that. I still had a heart for ministry, but I had been hurt so bad by a couple of churches that I just didn't know if I could go back into that kind of what I regarded and still kind of regard as a meat grinder. Um, and he was a guy that talked me through a lot of that and kind of showed me another way of fulfilling what I still think is my calling. So Kent, I love you. Um, you were, you were a really, really important person in my life when I needed it. And God placed you there and you were a, you were a surrogate father to me. Um, so in, in addition to the, the, the tangible people, individuals, that God placed in my life as surrogate fathers. There were a, a host of authors whose books meant a great deal to me um, over the years and still still do. Um, that God, you know, God has always given me books to read when I needed them. You know, I've never been one of these guys that just reads book after book after book after book after book just because I think I should be reading something all the time. I read a lot. Um, but God has given me books when I needed to hear what they had to say. And the men, and those are mostly men, um, although there's been a few women, so I won't, we won't try to um, parse out how a woman could be a spiritual father for a guy. Um, but, but the, the people that wrote those books were, they, they breathed into my life, spoke into my soul, some things that I think of a good father might have been able to speak into my heart at just the right times when I need it. God's timing has been great on all of that. Okay, so those those men gave me love and guidance and stability and examples. Um, some for a very short period of time, some for years, 
and they gave it to me right exactly when I needed it. And they were absolutely critical in my life when I needed them to be. And, and again, many of them, I think, had no idea that God had placed them in my life to be a surrogate father to me when I needed a surrogate father desperately. So there's, there's one way, one really big way in which God has fathered me. But there's two more. The second way that God has been a surrogate father to me is through his own presence. Now, I, I talk about God's presence as though it were a real thing, and it was. And I know that for some people, um, I, a, a lot of people will say they're Christians and they'll, they'll say that they have a, a relationship with God. But I know for a fact that many, 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 many Christians would not really describe that relationship as personal. I think that's one of the flaws of modern Christendom is that we treat God as though he were an intellectual exercise instead of a personal loving father. And I want to say that I did that for a lot of years. But in 2008, and I've talked about this before, God revealed himself to me as a personal presence, a loving father who was personal. And during, during those years and still today, God has become a personal father, which is what the Bible says he is. It's what he, he wants to be for us. And he has poured himself into me in ways that I recognized as God starting in 2008. He did that before that, but I didn't recognize it as God. He gave me um, the assurance of his love in, in, in some really profound ways. Um, and the confidence, this was huge. This was so huge. He gave me the confidence that he had made me exactly the way he wanted me to be. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm not. And God and I both know that. But he helped me during that time to see myself as a unique expression of him, as a bearer of his image, that he knitted me together in my mother's womb, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that he made me to be the person I am. And he was proud of me. He helped me see that, and, and I can't tell you what a, what a sea change that was for me to have God himself whisper into my ear that you're exactly who I made you to be, and I'm proud of you. He taught me that I have gifts that he has given me, talents that together we have developed, and that I still have areas in my life that he'd like me to grow, right? That's a, he was a father to me. That's what fathers do. They, they tell you what's best about you. They tell you, challenge you when you need to grow. They, they assure you that no matter what, you are loved. And God did that for me profoundly and strongly. Um, and he taught me that I should not be ashamed of any of that. And shame was a big part of my life up until start, God started talking to me that way. 
And I'm not nearly as ashamed of who I am as I used to be. Um, that's a change. And God, God stepped into, into my life and fathered me in that way. The third way that he fathered me, and this, this, is, this is a subset of number two, I guess, but I'm going to treat it as a separate one. Uh, and I'm not going to say a lot about this, but, but I, I can tell you that this was, this was important. God, God gave me my own independence. You know, sometimes, sometimes as parents, we try to control our kids in every aspect of their lives thinking that we're, we're saving them from something, we're protecting them, we're, you know, whatever. Uh, a good parent will give their child the independence to make some of their own mistakes. God did that for me. Um, I look back at my life and I made a lot of mistakes. I went way off the rails for a time when I was young. And God let me do that. He let me do that. And I think in some ways that's what a good father, that's part, part, part of what a good father does is give their, give their children a little bit of independence and let them, when they're, when they're of the right age and the right maturity level, to kind of let them go a little bit and let them, let them make some mistakes because we learn from our mistakes, don't we? God did that for me, and I am grateful for that. I am because I, gosh, I made a lot of mistakes, and I've learned from every one of them. I would love to have not made them. I would love to have not made them, but I did, and I paid consequences for them, and I learned from them, and that was important. So. Those are the those are the three big ways in which God has fathered me um, through giving me surrogate fathers, through His own presence, and through granting me a level of independence that that I needed to to screw up and to learn from those from those screw ups. And everything, every part of those three, have been really, really, really important. So, I want to kind of wrap this up this conversation today. Um, with a little bit of advice. It's advice time. And I've got I've got two pieces of advice that I want to give you, okay? And the first is for if you're a, if you're a young man out there or even if you're a little bit older man and you did not arrive at adulthood with all the things that uh, um, that 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 a father might have um, have given you. Um if, if you didn't arrive at adulthood with the father that you wish you had, all right? If you're in that boat, I have, I have a piece of advice for you. And that is to open your eyes and look for the people that God has placed into your life to fill that void, okay? Now, don't, don't expect them to be the single father figure that you that you need forever. Don't 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 expect that person to be exactly your father, okay? Because they're not your father. Nobody can replace your father, okay? So don't don't lay that kind of burden on on them to to be everything that your father that you wish your father might have been. All right. Uh, my experience is that God has placed people in my life to be 
a specific thing that I needed at that moment, okay? Not to be everything for me, right? So don't lay that on, on somebody. But open your eyes and look around at the people that God has placed in your life to fill that void and to provide something of what a father might provide for you at, at that moment in your life, okay? Be open to receiving what they have to give, and you may well find that it is exactly what you need for that season of your life. Okay, so that's, that's piece of advice number one. Piece of advice number two, this is for um, if you're an older man and, um, and older is a relative term, okay? So I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about a 65-year-old guy. You could be a 30-year-old guy, all right? But if you're somebody who has come through your own fathering experience, either because you had a really, really good father, and if you, if you had a really, really good father, God bless you. And I'm so delighted that you, that you didn't have a childhood quite like I had, that you had a father who could be for you everything that a good father is supposed to be. But if that's you, either because you had a good father or because God himself fathered you in maybe in many of the ways that he fathered me. If you're that person, if you have, if you have come to a place of emotional stability and, and confidence and peace about who you are, because because uh, you've 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 matured and you have a you've had a, a father or several father figures in your life, if that's you, I want to encourage you to look around and and be willing to be a surrogate father for one or more young men around you who could really use one, okay. Um, those men that I mentioned, they gave me love and give guidance and stability and examples, some for a short time, some for years. But they were absolutely critical in my life when I needed to be. And, and I think we need a lot more of those kind of guys in our world today. Because a lot, a lot of young men do not have that. And they're crying out for it, even if they don't know they're crying out for it. They're acting out for it. We need that. We need good fathers in our lives, whether we're, you know, 6 or 10 or 12 or 15, or whether we're 22 or 35, and we've just never had it. So if you're, if you're okay with yourself, if, 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 if you're healthy and mature, and, and for young people, if, if, if somebody wants to step in wanting to be your spiritual father and you don't think they're healthy or mature, don't let them be that, right? You don't need that. But if you're a, if you're a healthy, mature man of God and you think that God is calling you to step into some young man's life and just be a presence for them, I would encourage you to, to, to pray about that and be that kind of person for somebody who needs it, okay? Because lots of guys need it. Lots and lots and lots of young men need that. So be open to that if you can, okay? We, as, as God's people, 
and this is men and women, we have got to do a better job for our kids of giving children strong, supportive, loving families. And a piece of that, and the piece that I'm being concerned with in these, you know, however many podcast episodes we got here, I'm, I'm concerned about fathers. Mothers are, mothers are critical too, okay? We have got to, we've got to give our, our kids strong, supportive, loving families. We, we must, we just must. I ran across, across this quote from Mother Teresa yesterday. And, and I'm going to quote it here, and this is how I'm, I'm going to kind of close, um, because I think this is a really powerful, appropriate quote. Mother Teresa said, and she's long since passed, right? She's long since gone to be with the Lord. Um, so she said this quite a while ago, a number of, number of years ago. I think, she, I think she died in like 2008 or something. Um, I think. And she said this sometime before that, so it could have been in the 90s when she said this. I don't know. But she said this. Everybody today seems to be in such a terrible rush. Anxious for greater developments and greater riches and so on. So that children have very little time for their parents. Parents have very little time for each other. And in the home begins the disruption of peace of the world. I think that is just as true today as it's ever been. And so for the sake of our kids, for the sake of our families, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the world, Men, especially. Let's do all that we can to be better fathers and better men and better husbands because the world needs it desperately. And you need it too. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. And as always, we'd appreciate it if you tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy this show, if you find it helpful, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music. When, when you do that, when you review it, when you rate it, um, th those things, I don't understand how all this stuff works. Social media is, I'm old, right? So social media is still a little mystery to me, although I use it. This kind of, that kind of stuff helps other people find it. It helps, it, it helps the podcast rate a little higher in the rankings, and it helps more people find it. And if you find it helpful to you, go ahead and leave a review or rate it so that it shows up a little higher on the rankings so other people can find it too, okay? Um, please visit our Facebook page for the Jesus Society Podcast. It's at Jesus Society Podcast. You can find that. Um, check out our website, thejesussociety.com. Um, as we as we continue to try to go grow the audience for the show, we're, we're loading all the episodes onto YouTube and um, Odyssey, um, and you'll find us there. If you'd like to support the, sh the show and and my related ministry, um, I've got a Patreon page, um, and there's a link in the show notes for that. And we would really appreciate your support in that way. Thanks for listening, and remember, don't ever forget. 
you are greatly loved.